Hello and welcome to CIA Files, True Stories of U.S. Intelligence. I'm your host, Topher M. Ford. With me is my co-host, Brandon Givens. Brandon, how's it going? Ah, it's going all right. I think I've recovered from jet lag. I am back in beautiful Almaty, Kazakhstan. Well, congratulations on that. Um, do you have any insight on why I'm talking like this? I, I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, are you um, entering a Barry White impersonators competition? No, but I should maybe. Now that you mention it, I don't know that I'd win, but maybe I'd place. Huh. Anyway, uh, so today uh, you're going to take the lead for us, and we're going to be talking about um, Maria Butina. Yeah, yeah, she's right? going to come up. And, yeah, and some other stuff related to Russians uh, interfering in the U.S. elections and pol political scene. And yeah. it's something that I think is kind of a, I don't know, it's the impression that I get, but the impression that I get is that for a lot of people on both sides, it's just this kind of foggy sort of like, oh, there was some shenanigans or there, it, there was no shenanigans or yeah, there was some stuff, but it wasn't shenanigans. But nobody talks of like, I don't know much about like the specific details within that foggy cloud of mystery. Yeah. Well, there, there were a lot of exaggerations with the headlines, at least as far as what, what can be proven. And so that, that's something to parse through. Um, I am sarcastically surprised. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, especially when we get to the NRA and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. But I mean, I, I wanted to um, discuss this because, you know, like I came back from Poland and oh, hold on. my I have to edit my cats eating in my lap, which is incredibly adorable. But OK. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I try to go back. Yeah. I mean, like um, coming back from Poland, you know, it was um, my mind. I started thinking about like. That country was this constitutional monarchy that, that once spread from the Baltic Sea to the Dnieper River. And it went from being like this, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful state in Europe to non-existent within a generation. And I was like, well, why did that happen? And part of the answer is Russian agents took advantage of Poland's golden freedoms. One of these golden freedoms was a thing called the Liberum Vito. And well, was this, can, I'm sorry to interrupt, but can I ask, like, in general, what was what were the golden freedoms? You know, like what like is it sort of like the Ten Commandments or well, it's based, well, it's kind of um, unfortunate too. But a lot of the golden freedoms had to do with the ability of the elite to. Um, oppress the peasants. Uh, but as far as those involving government, it was things such as they, they couldn't, the laws, uh, no free man could really be forced to accept laws without unanimity. So the same, which was the name of like their parliament, they had to be unanimous when they passed something. And someone using that Liberum veto, they could 
just veto any act that was being discussed and even shut down the session and have all acts nullified that had been passed. Uh, the king was elected and there was religious freedom. Uh, but a lot of times the freedoms that they mention only pertain to the elite. Um, you had the right to form an organization um, to force through any sort of like political goal. So in, in many ways, it was kind of ahead of its time. Like in the U.S., we, you know, talk of our, you know, like democratic traditions and we go back to common law and, you know, the English Civil War and ways, you know, like the wars define how um, the United States developed this democratic tradition. But Poland had that too. And arguably they had a lot more political freedom than the British at that time. It wasn't necessarily as economically um, advanced as, as England in the 1700s, but, you know, there was... Yeah, some level. Well, and they also they still had peasants and serfs, so that was an issue. Nothing's perfect, but yeah. the point is, they did have an elected president. Excuse me, an elected king, um, and the idea of like bills of rights. Yeah, 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 yeah. Elective monarchy. Yeah, and um, I mean, I'm going to trust you because you teach government. But <laughs> that sounds well, weird. Yeah, well, um, it's not that uncommon. And in some ways, uh, you, you'll you have a, a number of people that can, like the, oftentimes a parliament will, or house of lords will confirm the king or queen. And elective, it can be really from a, a broad group when you have, you know, like uh, inheritance monarchy or primogeniture, or you don't, I mean, you're you know, the oldest child, there are different ways to do it, like male only, male preference, um, just depends on on which country. But yeah, some of them, it's just um, before the king to be coronated or queen to be coronated, there's like an election of nobles first. And it could theoretically be about anyone. I mean, they they have to be of of the rank. They have to be of like the, the class that could be elected king. But Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, I guess... A king is, you know, basically like the, like the law and the judiciary all in one. That- yep. Uh, well, the yeah, the king is uh, the head of state and the head of the executive. I mean, that's pretty historical there too. I mean, going back even the the Roman precepts, the idea that uh, the king is the one that visits foreign dignitaries. The king is the one that that sets the foreign policy. Uh, the king will be the one that ultimately decides whether or queen whether or not to go to war, uh, which again, foreign policy. And um, the head of state will pick the people that you know will at least approve of the people that head the different departments. You know, like who's going to collect, who's going to be in charge of customs duty, who's going to be in charge of the military, who's going to be in charge of the roads. That's very often a, a king or an executive that appoints that. And the same in the U.S., like the, so the president appoints the cabinet, and the cabinet appoints the people below them, and that's the executive. So, you know, the whole three branches of government, the you have head of state and head of um, uh, and head of government, and in the United States, 
the president is the head of state and the head of government. So, you know, they pick the cabinet, the executive day-to-day -day working, but they also deal with foreign entities. And a if you went back to England about 200 years or so, eh, maybe 100, I have to like dust off the, the history book to remember exactly when the parliament got so much more control. Uh, the parliament technically, the prime minister is the head of government. And on paper today, the queen is still the head of state. Um, in practical terms, it's the prime minister. But, you know, they'll still, yeah. the, it's the, Monarch is now more of a symbol of the state. Um, but yeah, so yeah. what they were doing is, I mean, they were electing a lifelong person who was supposed to, they were responsible for calling together the same to pass laws and debate yeah. issues. And they were the ones that tried to negotiate um, with other, you know, other nobility and political leaders. Yeah. Trade. It, it reminds me of... I. <laughs> You know, I had this thought um, of like, I wonder what this would look like, this certain thing. And then I was like, oh, I wonder if it already exists. And I so I looked it up and it does. And it's anarcho-monarchism. So the, it's basically uh, combining anarchy and monarchy, which <laughs> how does, you know, I... I don't, oh. I, I don't understand exactly how that would blend, but um, maybe in this case, the monarch would maybe serve as like an arbiter, uh, a judiciary. Oh, well, and, now you're, you're going back to libertarian utopia um, from the, the Bible or the idea, this Old Testament gods like, well, you should not have a king, don't have a king, you should have judges. As the judge, they just, you know, interpret the law. They don't make laws. So I'm a little confused about that, but, well, the laws come from God, and whatever is righteous or whatever is good or correct, the, the judges, you know, figure it out. You got a problem. You have a dispute. You go to a judge, and a wise judge figures it out, but you don't need a king because kings are only good for taking, for taxing you, taking your money, and declaring war on people. So that was kind of this Old Testament take on that. Um, Interesting. Well, you know, it's. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, it, I'm still kind of fascinated at, slash frustrated with uh, the fact that you know libertarianism was originally like this very left wing idea, and then you know, like you look at the Russians, like Nestor Makhno uh, and some others, who I'm not confident enough. Uh, to try to name, but you know, they were there with the socialists in Russia uh, when everybody was still, uh, were you know, like under the boot of the czar, and they called themselves libertarians because they didn't want to be governed, but they also had baked in this idea that no one consents to being born and so it's incumbent upon like the community to you know make everybody's main purpose serving the community and if enough people are doing that it actually doesn't take up that much of your life so long as you incorporate those ideas into your life that you take care of the community and modern day 
right-wing libertarian is um i didn't consent to be born and i'm not consenting to helping out <laughs> right you know yeah well i mean every every political ideology has its different interpretations and branches which makes it difficult that's where you get the well that's yeah. not the right kind of communist or that's not really communism or that's not really libertarianism or that's not really right. and it's but like it's, well <laughs> in this case it's not i don't you know like it's i don't think it's a a, a matter of like splitting hairs it's more like completely opposite mindset you know of i don't want to contribute to the our uh, society because i i don't like people and or you know whatever the reason is but they're like i resent you know having to chip in yeah well i mean the I think a lot of times it's just kind of a slippery slope that you're like, oh, well, if, you know, I submit to being taxed or I submit to following this rule, then I'm going to have to, you know, be put in a concentration camp later. And I mean, it, you can't help people from sliding down slippery slopes. That's, you know, or, or finding no, no nuance, like stuck in, uh, stuck in concrete operations. Either you have freedom, either you're free or you're not free. And it's like, well, it can be a little more complicated than that. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. Uh, you know, as you say that, that it's probably good that our social structures and our governance structures are constantly like kind of uh, simmering with different ideas so that we don't get locked in, uh, you know, like a static system. So. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, um, yeah, you have different uh, different types of government, and you kind of see what works and what works at one time may not exactly work in another. Um, yeah, which yeah. kind of cir circles back to like each system has its weakness, and this obsession with these you know this these ideas of freedom, and they, you know they set it up so they wouldn't have a tyrant. You know, like okay, you know we we the nobility there. You know, they they didn't extend extend the golden freedoms, their freedom of religion, and et cetera, and you know, like oh, you know, I can be, you know, I have a right to a trial or something. They didn't extend that to the peasants, but they did to each other. But the, they wanted to make sure that uh, a singular king wouldn't push them around. Which okay, that that it's kind of understandable, but it was used against them um, because the when the the Russians figured out that they could delegitimize the government by paying off members of the same. So they found uh, there was a push at the time to give peasants more freedom, like, like 1700s. Uh, you, know, you had the American Revolution, um, French Revolution simmering, and uh, so, well, you know, there, there, was, there was a push for, hey, maybe the peasants shouldn't be pushed around so much. And there were some members of the, the same that were like, hmm, the king might be going along with all these, like, you know, freedom ideas. I don't, I don't know about that, you know, because I'm going to probably get taxed and, you know, have some of my property taken or, you know, if I, you know, have these peasants working for me and, you know, they they might be able to to – you know, leave and then who's going to, who's going to work my fields and, you know, all, all these kind of issues. They was like, that's my freedoms. You're taking my property from me. No. Um, so they right. got in bed with, with the Russians. 
And the Russians started paying them off to paralyze the sim. And so when they would have, you know, like, oh, the Russians are doing X, Y, and Z, and we need to do something about it. Um, they would say, oh, well, liberum veto, we don't want to do that. Or, you know, even things like, oh, you know, we don't have enough kids that can read. I'm just making this one up, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the roads are all, the roads are falling apart. Oh, well, I don't, uh, we don't need to spend money on that. So veto. And right. The whole, the, the whole idea is you start with, I'm going to veto everything. And then, uh, in each individual case, you find reasons to justify it. But ultimately the idea is I'm now, uh, you know, the gates closed. I closed and locked the gate and you're not getting in. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it, the, the government was delegitimized because, one, well, people were like, well, the government can't do anything. You know, they can't fix the roads. They can't take care of everything. They can't even keep a well-organized army. I mean, come on. And so, you know, delegitimized it, and it also destroyed their ability to defend themselves. So is that, that happening to us? That worries me because I'm assuming you're drawing some uh, parallels here. So. <laughs> yeah. to pop in to say that I'm concerned. So anyway, continue. Right. Well, that's this thing with uh, the filibuster rule. So, you know, the filibuster, you know, it's old as, you know, old as time as far as like parliamentary rules go. And it just means that if somebody's talking, they get to continue talking, you know, and it takes 60% to make them stop talking. And... Uh, that was used for a while, and then for whatever reason, when the Senate started adopting the rules, and that's the thing, even before before the session, a Senate adopts rules, and it it can you know theoretically say we're not going to have any um, we're not going to have any filibusters, or we can use a simple majority to move on, and they decided that no 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 we're going to keep the filibuster, but not just keep the filibuster. We're going to say that someone can just say filibuster, basically. Right. And then I call we, filibuster. And right. Then. And then we can't move, you know, then they can't move on to anything else. You think part of that has to do with how old a lot of our elected officials are now? And everybody just kind of, all the old guys just kind of agree, yeah, nobody's got the energy to sit up there and talk. We'll just. You can just call filibuster. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine after was it Strom Thurmond did the filibuster where he had the catheter inserted so he could pee oh. up there. Yeah. That maybe after that they were like, you know, we could just make a rule. That- <laughs> like nobody wants to see that. You know what? Nobody <laughs> yeah. wants to see that. When well, Thurman I think it was, was. I think it was tied talking. to his pants leg under. I don't think he, they they got the the they got the, yeah, the joy of seeing. But I w- I wonder about because uh, I haven't seen or heard any of that footage. But it makes me wonder if he's like up there reading from I don't know the Bible, and then he has to stop for a minute and close his eyes, and everybody can tell that he's <laughs> missing himself. <laughs> And then he like uh, a little shimmy, a little shoulder shake, and then like go back to reading the Bible. Yeah, I could see that. And everybody's like, okay, okay, you know what? You just call filibuster now. 
That was, that's yeah. nasty. <laughs> well, his was, it was uh, 24 hours and 18 minutes. So oh. maybe, you know, people just got tired of sitting there and listening for that long. But uh, what anyway. probably to stop black people from having rights, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, it was a filibuster of the oh, Civil yeah. Rights okay. Act yeah. of 57, yeah. All right. Um, all right. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. so it seems like we've created rules to allow for us to do this to ourselves. Well, are Russians trying to take advantage of that? Is that something that's happening? Or are they trying to gum up the system? Are there? And so yeah, I decided to kind of dig into it and find out what did I know. But before I do that, I, I want to mention that there's another U.S.-Polish connection. The final partition of Poland occurred in the aftermath of the Kosciuszko uprising. I hope I pronounced that right. All right, so that is probably you did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to say that you did it perfectly. All right, <laughs> that is um, Kosciuszko. He was a Polish military officer. Um, he um, was really big into human rights, the Enlightenment, all that, and he went to the U.S. to fight in the American Revolution. And uh, he was the guy that designed the defenses in New York that helped stop uh, British General Burgoyne at the Battle of Sarasota. And that's the battle where the entire British army was captured. And after that, Spain and, and France were like, oh, uh, these, these colonists might win this thing. All right, we can, we can support them. All right. And that turned the tide of the war after that. So, you know, he was... Um, one of these kind of un, unsung revolutionary heroes. Um, he goes, he goes back to uh, Poland, and this is like in the time when the partitions are occurring, and he ends up leading a revolution to try to at least kick the Russians out, and it had some initial success, but it was eventually defeated. Uh, America didn't come to save the day, unfortunately, uh, but. Yeah, it was a new country, a lot going on, had, had a lot of other things to deal with, uh, like getting rid of those um, pirates in, in Tripoli. All right, so. Pirates. Yeah. I, I want to hear more about pirates, but I, I won't. Let's not derail things, I guess. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. All right. Um, and. You know, I mean, it's kind of sad because it's like, well, sad for a lot of reasons. The good guys don't always win. And, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb there and say that the revolution to get rid of three occupying forces um, being led by a guy that, you know, wanted to end serfdom and, um, you know, declare at least Republican values. You know, I would say that, that was those were probably the good guys. All right. Um, so how are we going to make sure that the U.S. doesn't fall victim to some of the same shenanigans? Oh, oh shenanigans. Oh, yeah. And I would say that, uh, like, and what, what I'm seeing when, when I research some of this is there's not as much money being thrown at it, or at least there's not as much open evidence of money being thrown at it as one would think. But that little bit of money does seem to go a long way. 
And they do seem to be big into gumming up the public debate. Now, the first, the first one I'll talk about is probably the most high profile, and that's Maria Butina. All right, so she's, she's this Russian citizen. She's a United Russia Party member. That's Putin's party. And she was the deputy to the deputy governor of Crimea's central bank, Alexander Torsten. And she founded this, um, like, uh, Russians for Gun Liberty, I can't, I can't remember the name, but like a pro-gun Russia group. And uh, did that in about 2015, and I think with Torsten. And then they invited a group of NRA executives to come to Moscow, and they wined them and dined on vodka, caviar, and had speakers, you know, high-ranking government officials come and speak to them. And, you know, they brought them with, uh, you know, like, oh, it's going to be a business opportunity, and you like gun rights, we like gun rights, let's all meet together. So I was like, okay, oh, whatever, seems innocent enough. It's just, yeah, you know. The, Very innocent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah, innocent enough, but you know, I mean, that's uh, the innocent NRA. enough. <laughs> innocent <laughs> enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what, it, what we see. There's a whole lot of smoke around the story, but not much fire, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, all right. So, Butina, she heads off to the U.S. Uh, about uh, like soon after the NRA folks showed up, and starts, you know. Hanging, uh, making political connections. And uh, the congressional investigation did find that the NRA knew these people were linked to the Kremlin and was helping them meet other politicians. Um, so there's again, it's more smoke. It's weird. Um, if it's not treasonous, it's negligent. That's <laughs> the most, but... She meets a guy called Paul Erickson, who is kind of a political operative, but quite shady in many ways. And is he? Would you? Do you think he's like um, a fixer guy? Uh, I don't know that I would call him a fixer. I mean, he he organized some kind of prayer gathering, and he was an executive producer on some kind of B movie in the eighties, like a B action movie about, you know, shooting up communists or something. Um, and he had a number of like businesses that, um, well, that's actually what the businesses he had got, ended up getting him in jail because, uh, he was accused of fraud and he went down for wire fraud and, um, what else? Uh, it's wire fraud and something else. But he got pardoned by Trump on Trump's last day of office. So you know, right? I remember uh, that he yeah. was. Uh, he went to jail in 2017, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was money laundering. Yeah, what he ended up go, pleading guilty to was wire fraud and money laundering. And the accusations was he was defrauding investors. He had some kind of like uh, company that for senior care. And oh, allegedly had made promises to investors. Well, he, did, he didn't get so much in trouble for harming seniors. It okay. was the investors who were hurt. That's what got him in okay. trouble. And the, he pled not guilty to that one. And the second one was involving like an oil company or oil exploration or something. And he um, 
yeah, again, he got it was defrauding the investors, not actually you know hurting the poor little oil wells or something. So, um, but yeah, he was sent, but he made an LLC for Miss Butina or when it was hers. And so they make this business together when she arrived. And then his claim was, well, I did it to help her pay for grad school. Like, uh, well, okay. So the deputy to the deputy governor of the Central Bank of Russia needs you to set up an LLC for her to help her pay for grad school. All right, checks out. Okay. Um, all right. Well, in 2016 at the NRA convention, um, she, Butina, um, Erickson, and um, Torsen uh, were there. And they, you know, they did their smoozing and everything. And Torsen met Donald Trump Jr. And soon after, Paul Erickson emailed the Trump campaign. It's like, hey, you should set up a meeting with Putin. Uh, now, none of this means that the Trump campaign did anything illegal. Like, so what? That a Kremlin banker met Don Jr. I mean, you know, Don Jr. is there at the NRA convention. That's what he's supposed to be doing. It's not his fault. The Russian guy comes up and talks to him. And, true, true. Yeah. Um, and then the spy's American friend, you know, like you know, Paul um, Erickson, Maybe he, you know, he's just stricken with, he thinks this girl is just so cute. He got honey trapped, maybe, I don't know. And she puts him up to it and he sends, you know, them an email, the Trump campaign saying, hey, you really should, you know, contact, um, you know, this foreign leader who is hostile to the United right. States. You know, that he sounds probably, very, I mean, it could happen to anybody. Yeah. Um, but now I am who suggesting among us that hasn't. Now, what I'm saying here is the, the, the Trump campaign here, there's no evidence that they did anything wrong. Right, Paul right, Erickson, right. Uh, you probably shouldn't be emailing a presidential campaign that you can help connect them to a hostile foreign leader. That's hey, probably not the good. The kids today say, shoot your shot. And I think that he was, he was like, I'm going to shoot my shot. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, you can't uh, blame a guy for trying. Uh, a little treason, <laughs> oh. I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess. I mean, she was kind of cute, you know. Uh, I mean, people people will do, uh, but you know, no. I think I now I know what he, what Meatloaf wouldn't do. He said he would do anything <laughs> for love, but he wouldn't do that. I think he would not email the presidential campaign to set up. A contact I don't know. Did you, uh, <laughs> in his later years, he was. I think he may have, he may would do that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. It, I don't know. I don't know who could say, <laughs> but yeah, so far it's all, uh, on the up and up, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, this, as far as the Trump campaign is concerned, the, there's, doesn't appear from what I'm seeing, from what I'm reading about the NRA connections, they haven't done anything but receive emails and people attempting to to reach out to them i haven't seen any evidence of attempts for them to reach back now did uh, you actually see any like was there any speculation or or um evidence that uh this american guy and this russian lady were 
romantically involved or that he was pursuing her. Well, like that was the, implied. It, it, it was implied that yeah, they, they were an item. And then it was also implied that she was um, using him. But yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I didn't see anything about her walking around with a ring or anything. So, I gotcha. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. And let's see. And I'll double check that before the end of the episode. Actually, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see here. All right. So, you know, I would see that as an example of, you know, okay, Russians are trying to reach out. They're trying to meet politicians and they're perhaps supporting groups that are, you know, like the NRA, the NRA has changed a lot. I mean, it, it started as a, like a gun safety group. And, you know, right. it, and then now like a gentleman's rifle, like, oh, I, I like that rifle. I, I like your rifle. That's a nice rifle. Right. And I mean, yeah. they, you know, they, they cared about gun rights and hunting rights, but you had to but really, they weren't like an activist group. It was just not more, to that, not to that extent or not to the extent they are today. Right. Um, I mean, now they're more in line with what would be like the John Birch Society. You know, like, oh, you right, know, but uh, with way bigger membership, right? And so, they there was a question there have been accusations that the NRA funded the Trump campaign with Russian money because here you got this guy with connections to um, to the Kremlin bank, he's also been that fellow has also been accused of money laundering, uh, and Spain has an open investigation on him now. So you got uh, an accused money launderer making these connections with the NRA. The NRA says that they've only received about $2,500 from people with Russian connections. And so, okay, you know, like I live in Moscow and I want a lifelong membership to the NRA. Okay. You know, stuff like that, members. So they're saying, we're not getting any money from them. Uh, But, I mean, their books haven't been opened. The only other thing that is kind of curious as far as the money goes is they spent three times as much money on Trump's campaign as they did on Romney's. And so that's kind of, I mean, it, it's smoke. It's like, mm, people are saying that you're getting money from the Russians. Like, you got Russian agents around you. You openly, you're, you know, the the guy who became the president of the NRA went to Russia and was on the booze cruise or the, you know, caviar and vodka trip. Um, goes back to the U.S. Eventually becomes the NRA president, and you know it's not really looking good. But yeah, I mean, there's no direct evidence that they have received any money. So um, there, there are calls for them to be audited, but, you know, I mean, until there's more direct evidence, I don't really see that happening. Um, so like, well, where are these people today? Well, Butina was arrested as an unregistered foreign agent. She served a couple of months in jail and was deported to Russia. Now she is an elected member of the Duma, which is the lower house in um in the Russian Federation. Um, yeah, I saw some pictures of her arriving back in Russia after being released from American prison. And it looked like she was getting like 
a really warm welcome, almost maybe like a hero's welcome. I oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there was there were people there greeting her with flowers and everything, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, Alexander Torshin, he's um, he left the central bank in like 2018. And um, now he's, you know, he does guest appearances on television and um, gets investigated by Spain for money laundering. And Paul Erickson, he uh, he pleaded guilty to wire fraud in 2020, like we mentioned, and um, uh, Trump pardoned him in uh, January 2021. So, yeah. And, yeah, I remember that's a big thing, too. You know, it was like, ah, oh, boyfriend of spy gets pardoned. And it's like, well, to me, it's not so scandalous that the boyfriend of the spy got pardoned so much as this guy was like committed major fraud against people. And uh, whatever. Um, you know, well. Which one? I mean, without the spy angle, he's just another dude who committed fraud. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> another one of those that usually gets away with it. He got away with it for a long time, really. Well, anyway, um, all right. So that's derision, perhaps derision, perhaps influence. I guess instead of saying dividing this into division and derision, it should be influence. To, um, division derision. So I will call the NRA influence, the NRA debacle, Russian attempts at influence. Now, division. Is Russia supporting secession movements? All right, well, there's this group. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I um, hadn't thought to ask that question, but now that you mention it, I am curious to, <laughs> to know the answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, there, there's a group funded by Russia called the Anti-Globalist Movement of Russia, and they support secession groups worldwide, um, which is kind of um, – it frustrates the ultra-right-wing, uh, like, Nazi-type Russians that, you know, want to, like – make a Russian only area and get rid of like people from other parts of, of Russia that aren't so Slavic. And, um, they're like, we get sent to jail for doing the things that they're supporting over where else. <laughs> like, Oh, well, yeah. Everybody loves some hypocrisy. Yeah. All right. So and you guys, are t like you talk about it too much. They don't, you know, quit being so, <laughs> outspoken with the uh, outrageous stuff, I guess. I don't know. All right. So when it comes to like secession movements or, you know, like ethnic groups wanting to break away and form their own countries, how the Russian government seems to view it is if it's within Russia's sphere of influence, then it's fascism. You know, like, oh, you want to form, you know, a, a different a different group, you know, uh, create a new state. No, 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 no. That's fascism. That's nationalism, fascism. No. But if it's outside of Russia's sphere of influence, then it's a anti-globalist movement. So it's a positive thing. It's, you know, fighting um, the forces that would make everyone be just like the West. This right. And this brings up a point that I, you know, maybe at this point I'm harping on, but I it, it, I, I always think of it in, in uh, whenever we discuss like propaganda, which is basically, you know, government marketing. And that's uh, at least my opinion that 
reality is much more elastic than especially people on the left, uh, you know, like the more liberal, more educated, more materialist uh, people on the left, I think sometimes fail to acknowledge because they want to, you know, like they trust their sources and then they take their sources words um, kind of for gos as gospel, but with like this sort of, uh, I don't know, false sense of like, Oh, well, I know what it makes a good source. And, <laughs> and, and so they scoff at this sort of thing, um, you know, and go like, that's obviously ridiculous. And I'm like, yeah, to you, it's obviously ridiculous, but to like millions of other people, it makes perfect sense. And their opinion and like in the overall grand scheme of things, their opinion is just as important as yours when it comes to influencing cultural reality, if that makes sense, you know, uh, and it's a, it's a thing that frustrates me about a lot of liberals that I see is like the, the sense of uh, intellectual superiority. And it's like, you're too clever by half, man. <laughs> you know, like the fact that you can cite four sources as to why this guy shouldn't punch you in the face is not going to stop him from punching you in the face, you know. <laughs> right. Well, seeing so, the world, uh, seeing the world as it should be instead of how it is. <laughs> the, kind of like the opposite of cynic. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, people accuse the right of a lot of people on the right, especially the far right, of being um, impervious to new information that may challenge their worldview. And that's a major flaw, you know, and it, it's led to some dark places. But the left has, I don't know if you'd say a similar problem. It's not that they feel, they don't feel that confident in their worldview. Um, they're really overconfident in their ability to discern, uh, you know, what's normal, what's correct, and what's truthful and what's not. And really, they're probably not any better at it than the people that they make fun of. Yeah. I saw this, um, Grace and Frankie that, um, there was a little clip. It was kind of funny. So, um, you got these two ladies like, um, retired, uh, and one of them's kind of conservative. The others, you know, like, um, Sedota, Arizona liberal. And no, uh, I can't remember which one's which, but the conservative one said to the liberal one, uh, you know, you say you're all open-minded, but whenever anyone disagrees with you, you freak out. And it's like, yeah, I've kind of met that. I've met that person, <laughs> you know, where they're like, oh, I'm liberal and open-minded. I'm liberal. But when you do challenge their worldview or that you do disagree with them, they can kind of flip out a bit on you. Yeah. I'll be honest. I've been that person, you know, I've definitely been that person in the past, but I've tried to like see it and acknowledge it mainly because being that person I finally realized felt like smashing my head against a wall. And then I was like, maybe I'm the stupid one. For it's smashing a, my head yeah. against a wall. It's, maybe it must I be should a, rethink it. 
It's, it must be exhausting being right about everything all the time. I know. It is. I'll be honest with you. It's a burden. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. I just, yeah. Okay, so this group, anti-globalist movement of Russia, they they hold like a conference and you know invite people from around the world. And, you know, like ah, oh, Hawaiian Independence Party, California Independence, um, Catalonia, whatever. Come on, let's have our Independence Party uh, conference and talk about you know fighting globalism together. And the their leader is a guy called Alexander Ionov. Now he has been indicted for trying to convert U.S. citizens to agents of Russia. Now, the U.S. is accusing him of working under the direction of the um, FSB, uh, the Federal Security Bureau, All right. and uh, having some sort of control or connection with you know, like unnamed parties in Georgia, Florida, and California, and spreading disinformation, supporting certain candidates, that sort of thing. Now, the one we... we do clearly have a, a lot of information about is um, the Cal exit, like the California exit person, Louise J. Marinelli. It's an American citizen from New York, um, moved to California. Um, but then he, he went off to um, Russia to teach English for a while. And... Um, he returned to the U.S. Um, probably around 2011 and founded CalExit, which might have been a spin from the California Sovereignty Movement. But nonetheless, the Cal... It, mm -hmm. Sorry, you know, I, I was just going to say, I know that there's been this sentiment uh, within Northern California, which is more agricultural and more uh, conservative, generally speaking, to... Uh, get away from what they see as like liberal overreach into their business. Uh, especially when the, you know, the government, the California state government is typically liberal and, you know, do things that tend to favor the metropolitan areas over the rural areas. And so that's, at least that's my basic understanding of, oh, oh. you know, like, CalExit is California becoming independent. Um, oh, okay. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. You're, I, there, there's there were a couple of different um, movements. One to like split California into six different states, and then there's the whole Northern California joining or uh, becoming its own state, or joining Oregon or something. Which I don't know. Now they wouldn't want to join Oregon, but there's also a, a movement for Idaho to expand, like for Eastern Oregon to become part of Idaho, and that one seems to be getting some traction. And I have no, uh, um, I have no knowledge of Russian involvement in, in those sorts of, of movements. Right on. Yeah, I, I just, I, I heard Cal Exit, which I've not heard before, and I just assumed it was about like the Northern separatist movement, but. I'm completely unfamiliar with the notion of like California seceding. That seems weird to me. Yeah. Uh, Texas. Yeah. Uh, you know, Texas talks about it all the time. And if, you know, like Mississippi or Arkansas started talking about that, it wouldn't surprise me, but yeah, I'm surprised about California. Well, and the thing is, it seems to be largely astroturfed. So this, you know, it seems like it would have to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this Marinelli fella, he's um, 
I mean, he seems to be kind of a, a colorful individual. You know, he, uh, he, he was like was in Russia for many years teaching English, comes back for four years or so, founds CalExit, and then like a year later moves back to Russia. And um, But when he moved back, he met Alexander Ionov, and he's come out, and Ionov, that, that was, I can't remember if I mentioned it, but that was the, like the president of the anti-globalist movement of Russia, the guy, that, right. the guy that's um, being indicted. And so, yeah, he met him, and um, the American says, oh, well, no, 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 I wasn't, you know, like, I, he's, I wasn't an agent of his or anything. It really was my idea, and he didn't offer me any support. He gave me an office space so I could do an exhibition about California culture, including things like the Stonewall riots, or I can't remember those were in San Francisco or New York, but, or Harvey Milk and and. And all that. And he said, it's stuff that wouldn't even be allowed in Russia normally, but, you know, I was allowed to do it there. And it's like, well, I mean, that's telling me something there. If you're giving a, a hey, look, here's, you know, LGBTQ rights and in Russia and you're, you're getting clapped for it. Uh, something somebody's uh, giving you an approval higher up. But anyway, um, yeah. he, he said, uh, yeah, he gave me some money, like $500, but I really just used it to kind of get by my day-to-day life and he said he was offering me more money but i wouldn't take it so i guess uh marinelli i mean what i'm reading from him saying there is well i kind of thought that that sent off an alarm bell you know the russian man wants to offer me a whole lot of money to <laughs> agitate for california to secede but he said ionov wanted to pay for like flash mobs and he was trying to create a disruption at the capital um and anyway, um, he came back. Marinelli came back to the U.S. in 2021, and now he lives in Arkansas. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do not believe he's going to be arrested. I imagine he's told everything he knows, but yeah, read up on him. He's a, a colorful person. All right. So... Mm. Now, the uh, last little thing I found really does have to focus on derision, also a bit of division, but probably more derision, and troll farming. So this is a story of troll farming, Texit, and Muslims of America. Oh, no. <laughs> um, it was an attempt by the Russian troll agency to incite a... a I don't know if you'd call it a race riot or a religious riot, um, but the Internet Research Agency is, you know, it's this Russian troll farm, and they had control of an incredibly popular Texit um, Facebook page. So Texit being like Texas Secession Group called the Heart right. of Texas. Um, this page had over 250,000 followers. A, uh-huh. a, uh, sorry, but... A notion that's been at least obliquely um, referenced by Senator Ted Cruz, you know, he's he's floated the idea half jokingly a few times in public. So, you know, like, what would the U.S. government do without Texas's oil? Huh? What if we, uh, you know, things like that? Right. Yeah. Well, and that's a. I mean, that sort of talk is. 
what the uh, Russians would be encouraging, encouraging both derision and division. And I don't really, I don't think that's helpful. I mean, that's the political version of I'm going to take my ball and bat and go home. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Ted Cruz is, is incredibly petty. So, <laughs> Oh, his poor puppy left behind when he went on vacation. Right, well, than, was it Rip Mitt Romney whose dog was strapped to the top of the vehicle? Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, uh, accidentally, but uh, well, maybe not. I don't know. Um, anyway, right. So the the Texas page it included uh, not only Texas post, you know, or how great Texas is, or why Texas should be its own country, but anti-Muslim stories as well. So this. Um, the Internet Research Agency also appears to have controlled the United Muslims of America page. Now, the Heart of Texas page advertised a Stop Islamization of Texas rally for May 21st, 2016. Coincidentally, hmm, the United Muslims of America page advertised a Save Islamic Knowledge rally for May 21st, 2016. The time and place were also the same, noon, at the newly opened Library of Islamic Knowledge in Houston. So, I mean, this is like, you know, getting two different groups riled up and then telling them to meet at the same location. Right. Um, and So I'm guessing that did did the IRA run both of those groups? Uh, yeah, yeah. The IRA, yeah, they control. Well, it's alleged, <laughs> so it hasn't been definitively proven. But we're like ninety eight percent sure that the the Internet Research Agency ran both groups because um, nobody from those the, from those the Facebook pages showed up at the protest, like no one from the heart of Texas Facebook page showed up probably cause they're in like St. Petersburg or something. Right. Um, so that's, you know, one of your big gives away, giveaway, you know, they, and it was a sponsored ads too. It wasn't just posted. They, you know, they paid to advertise it. So this is not a lot of money that, you know, could have potentially created a pretty big riot and it did create a disturbance. Like, you know, there are pictures of the event where you have people with Confederate flags and you also have like neo-Nazis and then, you know, on one side of a road and then you have these, you know, Muslim people there by their library. And yeah, it could have gone a lot worse. Right. Um, and so uh, the other thing that's kind of noticed as a trend is anytime there's a mass shooting, uh, these bots... Um, they take extreme positions and just essentially antagonize people. And so they seem to be, they, you know, and also they spread a lot of disinformation, you know. Um, well, that I mean, that's the thing. Muck it all up, make people divide people, make people angry at each other. Right. People at each other's throats. And it appears to be working and it's very cheap. I mean, that, that's what surprised me kind of reading in this and just like how inexpensive it has been to really put the thumb on, you know, or 
I want to say thumb on the scale or turn the heat up on right. the, the anger that's already there. Well, I mean, making memes and writing, you know, Facebook posts is a lot of that's just free other than, you know, time, the having to pay the person to do that. All of the tools that they use are they're using the same tools that your uncle is using and that, you know, your kids are using. It's, you know, they don't have to invest much into infrastructure, I guess, aside from, you know, some spending on uh, Facebook ads here and there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So anyway, that's, that pretty much sums up what I've got to report. And I guess my only advice I could give is don't argue on social media. It's likely a bot. And if it's not, oh. it's probably a human bot repeater. Have you been a human bot repeater? Chris, <laughs> have you just repeated cliches said by a human bot? Hmm? Uh, hmm? No, never. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> I'm infallible. I'm pretty infallible. I'm, you know. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. Yeah. Um, Chris, if you want to sign us out. So, um, do what now? Oh, yeah. Uh, Socials. <laughs> All that stuff. Um, you can find us on the internet at no. ciafiles.net where you can leave us reviews. You can leave us little voice messages as well. Um, you can also go there to see all of the information for the podcast, some, you know, links and sources. Yeah. Uh, you can also find us on uh, twitter.com. We're at CIA files podcast, Instagram or at CIA files and facebook.com slash CIA files. Also, uh, check out uh, facebook.com slash rise of mammon to get the latest news and updates on our upcoming show called the rise of mammon. And uh, yeah, we'll see you later. Have a good week. <laughs>